Oh, heavenly King, the comfort of the Spirit of Truth, for which ever present to fill us all things, treasure blessings, and give of life. Come and abide in us and cleanse us from every impurity and save our souls a good one. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Do you set your background as people just know your orthodox? I set my background. <laughs> Although. Back on. All right. Uh, all right. This is comically low at this point, but we're just going to go with it. I'm not going to mess with it anymore. Uh, I'm, I'm just looking at the cat. Uh, I said, almost called this a catechism, but our schedule and just seeing uh, because I took that week off from having a kind of crazy weekend and then pushed. We talked about Theotokos and we kind of hit a little bit about uh, the virtues, just kind of faith, hope, and love, I think in general, but not much detail. Uh, and then we were going to be talking about this week prayer, fasting, almsgiving, sexuality, marriage, and family. And well, and that's actually, I want to actually talk about the virtues more than what we did. So I'm going to push things off because the sickness, suffering, death, and kingdom of heaven one that is for uh, September 3rd is not as uh, much information as the prayer, fasting, almsgiving, sexuality, marriage, and family bit. And I would like to spend a whole time, whole class talking about prayer, fasting, almsgiving, sexuality, marriage, and family. Because all those things are wrapped together. It's not like they're discrete, uh, separated things. Uh, and then as we get towards the end, talking about confession and baptism, right, etc. Uh, as planned reception, there, this has become a very... Uh, yep, totally. Uh, everybody's come in different... different time frames of when folks were here from the beginning of the class or came halfway through the class or like towards like a class or two ago. So the kind of planned reception into the church isn't going to work perfectly for everybody lined up. Uh, this might happen anyways because of where people are at. Uh, it's not, I hope I made clear at the beginning of the class, just going through the class itself does not necessarily mean that you're ready. It's something to talk with me about and discern uh, together, and then uh, we set a, a time to be received. So uh, those of you who have kind of been here at the tail end, uh, that's something that we can talk about as we talk. If you've been here through uh, the vast majority of it, then we need to also talk about it. Basically, everybody, we need to sit down at some point and talk things that happen anyways, but just kind of check in, see what's going on, and where everything is at. Does anyone have any questions or anything that has come up or crossed their mind or something like that in the past week or maybe even two weeks since some folks, for example, like did chess or something like that last week? That's not a dig, just a reality. <laughs> what? Do you want to have a pen? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. All I'll see is just a whole lot of ink instead of like any detail of that this letter. And there's a smaller cap. I do. I don't know if you all know or that Abigail was in a car wreck. She's fine, but she was here that one Sunday, and she had a sling on because she like broke. Uh, I forget which part of her arm. Uh, yeah, and Sebastian is still waiting on his document, so they don't really have a way to get here. So that is where they have been, and they live in Kentucky, like Harrogate area. So it's quite. It was already a haul, and now, unless Sebastian drove illegally <laughs> and put documents, I would probably guess in question. Like uh, there's that. So. Uh, be praying about uh, their situation. I think that, I think things they'll, they'll be back soon. Just so you know where they have been. Katie also obviously had a baby, so that's why Katie has not been here, and she's been received into the church anyways. So nobody questions Bueller. Bueller. <laughs> I'm glad that you guys even know what that is. That's good. Culturally literate. Pass. Okay. Everybody's ready to be received. <laughs> Okay, um, did anyone get to read the section on virtues? When you think of virtues, what do you think? Let's just start there. Positive attributes. Positive attributes. 
something morals, that values. Yeah. Something people respect. Something people respect. A framework that governs your life. So, you have something else? No, no, that's not Yeah, yeah, okay. Amerson, I feel like I feel something from you or the desire to say something. It's just, I've always understood it as a, as a compass. A compass? Yeah. I like that. Do you know, is that partly because of cardinal virtues? With like the cardinal points on the map or anything like that? Potentially, Maybe. subconsciously, because I don't even <laughs> understand that concept. Do, do you all know it? So this is what's fascinating about the discussion of virtues is... I think most of us, we have some idea of it, but we don't actually, our, the way we discourse about ethics or morality in general is not usually virtue-based. It's usually rule-based, right? So if we're going to do a little introduction to ethics class and philosophy, I don't really want to go too far into this, but like most of us were actually taught, or even we imbibed a kind of more, just go with me for a second here, have a more Kantian understanding of what ethics is, is basically this kind of the duty-based moral grid of like, uh, you should, even if you don't like the thing that you're supposed to do, you should just do it because you're supposed to do it. You're duty-bound to do it. Uh, and if you think I'm being, th that is Kant. I'm not gonna quibble about it, that's what Kant says. Okay, so this is very different from somebody, Aristotle, and what I would say just like classic Christianity, but classic humans. That sounds like TM, I should trademark it, classic humans, right? Greco-Roman society, most other cultures, you look like Confucianism, etc. It is not, we look at like ancient cultures and we're like, man, they're really like rule bound. They're like, you look at Israel and it's like, man, they have, their whole life is governed. But their whole life is, our whole lives are governed too by all sorts of rules <laughs> and things. It may not be as uh, a whole tribe or a whole group, but like, I mean, look at the government. Look at the way that we govern our life. Go on TikTok and tell me that there's not a lot of morals or Instagram or like, there's just, it's out there. So the historic, when you think about cardinal virtues, you're thinking about, not, watch me not remember all of them. Temperance, uh, courage, um, I'm not trying to remember all of them. This is part of the, we don't, we don't talk about these things at all. Uh, that there's need for discernment, that there is things that we grow in. This is kind of like with the homily today. We kind of think either we've we've got the thing that we're supposed to do and we're right, uh, or we're wrong. And there's not like this idea of virtues is something that you grow into, and vices are something that you grow into as well, right? And that the whole uh, ascetical life and life of the church is a re-education, a re-aligning uh, of your desire and alongside of how you act, right? So it's not just, I mean, I'm sure that you guys, if you grew up around Christians, certain there's this kind of like, so the way I grew up, right? Don't drink, don't smoke, don't dance, don't go with girls that do, right? Like that was that kind of, we didn't actually say that, but I'm just, right? There's that kind of like, as long as there's this kind of sense of rules that we're following, that's kind of like a righteousness in and of itself. But that is not historically accurate. Are you going to teach this class? <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I'm talking about virtues, Deacon. Uh, I'm not teaching the class. <laughs> <laughs> that the reality is of the church is the need to grow in particular virtues. And there's a whole lot of discourse in the tradition itself of virtues. I mean, you can look at the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. Those are basic qualities that you want to inculcate into your life. You don't ra like one day say, I'm going to be merciful. And because you suddenly like flip the switch, you are now merciful because you realize you need to be merciful. We all realize that our moral life is way more complicated than that, right? Uh, and there are certain things that we may even say that we're addicted to or enslaved to uh, that are really obvious to us. And there's other things like that might more subtle, like covetousness, anger, things that are like more interior to us, but we need help being able to dig out of those things, to uproot those things, and then to replace them with an actual virtue, right? And the way the fathers will talk about virtue is that you kind of have vices, and there's something that op is opposite of that, that if you are struggling with this, then you need to move towards like lust, then chastity, 
greed or avarice, then you need to work towards basically a kind of uh, almsgiving and work towards having money be something that you're not, like, you have faith in God, therefore you don't feel like you have to hoard things up, that you can just live with simplicity, right? Uh, And that might be governed by fear, right? So there's all sorts of things that can be the driving, the wounds that might be because you grew up dirt poor and you're afraid and you don't ever want to go back to that place. So in order to make up for that, you poured up all sorts of stuff because you never want to be, or you are ashamed. Maybe there was some point in your childhood, if you were dirt poor, that you were ashamed for it, or you felt that on the school bus, or, you know, you had bologna sandwich instead of, I don't know, fried chicken. <laughs> I don't know, right? Like, uh, and so you never want to go back to that place, or, I mean, you just go through all the things I'm using, I'm kind of going here off money, but like, there's all sorts of things you can probably think of, of wounds and things that the church uh, has tools to help in in the spiritual materials to be able to actually grow in virtue. So this isn't just morality in the sense of like, these are all of the things that you need to do uh, and you should already, you know, yesterday be doing them. You are joining a whole group of co-strugglers who are attempting to uh, live into Christ and thereby bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit through their life. Uh, this is just in the pedagogy I was talking about with the rich angular. It's to be convicted of something and to actually be able to say, like, I need to actually dig into this and start working in the other direction of the towards the virtue that needs to replace this thing. Um, any questions about that? The the ones that I'm going to talk about right now. So, or, or uh, <coughs> I've got a whole list that are basically from the fruit of the spirit that uh, Father Thomas. I think Father Thomas does a really great job. I think this is one of the better volumes in the entire set. As I've been revisiting this stuff, he does an incredible job going through the virtues and kind of fleshing them out. We already went through the beatitudes, so now we're going to do the virtues uh, to talk about love and then the, some specific ways or tools of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving that help aid those virtues. Part of the reason to go through this is because, I don't know about you guys, but there is, I think, a tendency to kind of think about God or Jesus, and so there's divinity, and it's all kind of abstract. And then what does righteousness actually look like and to be able to actually behold holiness uh, and then have some path towards that instead of just kind of a, I love Jesus, everything's great, and then you're like, no, it's not. <laughs> right? Like, I'm still really pissed at my parents. Oh, I'm recording this. Whatever. Okay. <laughs> like, I, I'm still addicted to, I, I, like, alcohol still has a hold on me that I need some help with. Or, you know start realizing as you delve into the spiritual life of like, man, I really treat food as a solace as opposed to God, right? Or I really care about the way that I look more so than I ever thought before. Uh, one of the things about entering into the church and delving, especially the first few months, I made the reference to the story of the one priest who said that he had somebody who came to the church and like three months later, they're like, I'm not holy yet, so I'm out of here. Um, it actually gets harder get once you enter into the church because of partly what I'm talking about of like you actually start to behold yourself as and as the sacramental life of confession and things when you start having and dealing with that in front of out loud like right now I have no idea what sins beset you right like once you start going to confession I have a general idea I'm not sitting around on a Sunday afternoon or a Tuesday afternoon like worried about everyone's sins or like obsessing about it. I don't, I try, I don't really think about them at all, right? If you're wondering if that makes you start feeling more anxious about like that I'm sitting here knowing what people's sins are. But the reality is almost everybody's sins are pretty much similar and I'm also a sinner, so I get it. <laughs> it's not like I'm like, oh wow, all right, this is a real humding or like, like you usually don't, it's one of the things that I say pretty often is like sin is really boring and it's not that interesting. And it's really not that original. There's no sins that you have that are original, 
right? Every like I get it. I've probably done it or have some of my own like problems with it. So there's nothing from me of like knowing what your sins are. But what I'm pointing is like at some point in confession you are now saying it and the shame the the that what that brings up and then having to go and do it again and that you're the fifteenth time and you're still saying the same things. You're like I should be different by now and it's like it's okay. Like most of the time the sins that you have are the besetting things that you're probably going to have. There's like the thorn in the side. Um, this is Paul's language, right? That uh, I was actually reading Judges, which is a crazy book the other day uh, in the Old Testament. And it talks about how God let the Canaanites stay and be a thorn in the side of Israel. And I was like, I bet Paul is great. But we do have besetting sins that are things that are humble us and draw us are supposed to draw us closer to God because of allowing us to actually see our like our brokenness kind of like the encounter today in the gospel right he had an opportunity to repent to actually and he beheld himself and he's that weight of his possessions he said I can't I'm going to choose my possessions over Jesus right so all this to say once you are you know, enter into the church and you're a few months in or a few years in and it just feels overwhelming or whatever, come and talk to me about it. You know, to get, this is also one thing that confession, I'm kind of bleeding into a future talk too, but confession is getting out of your head because all of us usually stay in a kind of monologue with ourselves. Maybe we let our spouse into it, but we're typically have a, a storm cycle of like self-defeating, uh, self-accusing self-destructive thoughts and we need confession in order to own the stuff that we're dealing with and have to be able to somebody say like god loves you no matter what like yes these are sins yes these are you know problematic things and yes you're struggling with them struggle but renew the struggle depend upon god and then actually hear the absolution of your sins by actually saying you are declared right you are your sins are gone right we need this. It's a therapy. This is one reason why the church talks about this cycle and the struggle with sin and the priesthood, the sacraments, that the priest is somebody who can speak into your life at certain points and be able to say, like, stop. <laughs> like, this is a really bad, this is not good, and there might be a consequence to this. That might be, like, not receiving Holy Communion. There might be some other aspect, which is called a penance, because of some act or something that's happened. Uh, this is all for your growth to be able to actually wake up like the man today encountering Jesus and like you've got to set like he's given he's kind of given a penance right he's kind of said you have this thing you need to go and sell all that you have and then follow me and he can't do it so being able to get a picture of the virtues and kind of contemplate this thing I think it's also this might even be helpful because I give a, a, a few documents out about confession because you, you might be surprised, but some people come to confession and they're just like, I have two things and I can't think of anything else. And I'm just, I'm usually like, if you have two things, you are way holier than me. Uh, and I, I don't say this to like, because this is, a, I get it, like, but there's also an aspect of like, uh, for your sake to be able to have a good confession and to be able to really see yourself and not crumble in despair, but be able to have hope in God and be able to actually account for where you really are, you've got to actually know what it is that you're missing out on, right? Like, what the virtues are. Or maybe even, uh, I don't really go into the vices, but, like, be able to know the vices a little bit better. The spiritual tradition of the church, by that I mean the teaching of the fathers, what is he printing out? <laughs> printing out the Bible. Uh, you need to be able, if there's particular vices and things, and things that you might not even know as tools that you need. Like, why fasting right why, why almsgiving why, why giving of your money to the poor or to the church or things like that right like uh, I mean prayer obviously right but you okay yeah pregnancy yeah yeah gotcha uh, I was gonna say if we need to air it out or something <laughs> okay you're just sipping away over here it's the coffee it's coffee yeah it smells bad I mean, it's not good coffee. Yeah. <laughs> I'll agree with that 100%. <laughs> uh, 
That's one of the things at one point I want us to have on the line item would be like, why, why does you have a $2,000 coffee budget for the year? It's like, because we don't want to drink this swill anymore, but yeah. one day. <laughs> Coffee's expensive. Do you actually buy real nice stuff? Guess in Blue Mountain drinking coffee is the best. It's better? Way even in the price point is better? No. <laughs> <laughs> this is always the thing. It's like, of course, you have to pay for it if it's going to taste better, right? Yeah. Not this Costco. I don't know what they cut that stuff with. Right. Anyways. <laughs> uh, we, I think we talked a little bit about faith, hope, and love, right? I mean, uh, faith is fundamental. If you're going to go in the vir- grow in the virtues, especially if you're considering this from a Christian point of view, right? There are pagans who are virtuous. The church will talk about this. The church has no problem saying, like, uh, you'll go into churches in the old country, not as much here, just because like this is not the, the land of Homer and Aristotle and Plato, right? This is the land of, I don't know. David Crocker. David Crocker. There you go. I was trying to think of something. I, I, I went in some directions I didn't want to say out loud. Uh, <laughs> Hugh Hefner or something, I don't know. Uh, they will have in the narthex, they will have Plato, Aristotle, Homer, they just don't have halos because they're not considered Christian saints, but they see them as forerunners. Kind of like, are you all familiar with Dante's Inferno? Where Virgil, of course, is his guide through the Inferno. Um, and there's kind of this, he's a righteous pagan concept. This is very strong in the early church and in the medieval church, right? Still in the Orthodox church. There's a sense and even reverence for uh, these ancient philosophers, historians, etc., that there was something virtuous in them and that they were pointing to something. So the, the church does not have a problem. They're in the narthex. They're not in the nave, but they are seen as a necessary and good aspect, you know, good part. Uh, St. Basil has a whole tract about reading virtuous pagans, like that it's something that is necessary for the paideia, which is the education of people. Uh, they have the nine worthies, right? In the, West? the nine worthies? I, I think... Do you remember who they are? Not off the top of my head, but... Like Hercules? Is Hercules in there? Who is in there? Uh, I, I have some vague recollection of that. I'm what... Surprise, I'm really much more versed in the Greek fathers <laughs> than I like a lot of the medieval Latin tradition, but I'm not as familiar with it. I have some inkling of remembrance of what you're talking about. I remember it was like three Christians, three uh, Jews, and three pagans, I think. You can see, I mean, think about uh, at Nativity, there is a reverence for the Persian, um, I'd say like magicians, I think is in the language that we'll use from them, right? Because they just are diviner, like they astrologists, right? Like the wise men, that means that they actually read the stars, right? They were into astrology and they could discern that the Messiah was coming, right? Uh, I'm not saying go practice astrology, Okay. <laughs> Just to be clear, just because I just mentioned them, right? Uh, that was seen for them and their place as they, that they were able to be brought to Christ. Um, but faith is this fundamental uh, aspect, uh, especially if we think about the gospel today. I mean, he was basically virtuous, right? He hadn't murdered anybody. He hadn't committed adultery. Uh, he hadn't lied. He had like he was. If, if he was your son, <laughs> you'd be like, good boy. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. I am not ashamed of you whatsoever. I'm going to parade you about, right? But that is not, that's not the challenge. That's not the problem. That wasn't the challenge. It was that he, the money, okay, it's not really the money. It's really the point that he didn't have God. <laughs> he, he had accomplished these things, but once God showed him, Jesus showed him, right? Like, you're lacking one thing that it all fell apart for him and that thing that he needed he needed god in order to free him from that thing so faith is this fundamental if we don't have faith it's really hard for us to grow especially in hope what, what hope do you have if you do not have faith in god what hope do you have you ain't got nothing let's eat drink and be merry for tomorrow we die that's not just a dave matthews band song maybe that's time Nobody listens to Dave Matthews Band anymore, do they? No. Oh, Isaac does. Isaac does? But he's the age. <laughs> he's my age, yeah. Yeah, I saw Dave Matthews Band in high school. Let's not talk about that. I have to turn off the thing, too. Uh, but hope... Well, I mean, so we basically understand faith, right? Faith... So let me be clear about one thing about faith. I think a lot of us, if you grew up in a Protestant Christian background, faith 
was kind of a mental ascent to something. And faith is more than a mental ascent. Faith is trust. I would say trustfulness or like faithful. When we, when we say faithfulness, when we say a faithful spouse, we know what that means, right? We don't mean that they like believe and they have made a confession of faith. We mean that they trust and that they are in a relationship of trust, right? Fidelity. That is what faith in God means, right? Not just a mental assent to say, but the demons know that Jesus Christ is Lord. That, that's not... That's not this challenge. <laughs> it's actual faithfulness, right? I see a question. Well, I suppose, so, faithfulness. So when you say faith as faithfulness, is that to say that we are faithful or God is faithful? Both. We respond to the faithfulness of God because he is faithful to us. And, is, and if faith is like trusting in God, kind of like you said, what is that faith? I guess that's something I asked a lot growing up, just with like a lot of difficulties that my dad went through, and thinking like when things started falling apart, yeah. I had I had faith in my little eighth grader self. Like yeah. I knew what was going to happen because I knew that he was in the right, and I totally believed like with faith that God was going to make it work out. And then like time goes by, years go by, and what you thought what you had faith for doesn't happen, and so you ask, okay, well, what do we have faith for? Because it's not in justice being done. It's not in, you know, provision necessarily, right? And there are many faithful people that have died in various yeah. ways. So, I mean, is it ultimately just a faith in the resurrection? Is that what it comes down to? So, yes. I think it is it is a faith, and there are times, this is why we say your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's a sense in which there is things that we are going to suffer that God may not, I mean, that the thorn in Paul's side, for example, right? There's some things that he may not remove from us, that he may not uh, pick us up out of. Uh, that does not mean, there are times that he does do it, and we have many examples of that. We also have examples of what you're saying of like 20 years of suffering like a horrible marriage or something, right? Uh, 20 years of suffering with mental health issues or physical maladies. Uh, and what you see in the examples of the saints, uh, because this really helps us to be able to flesh this out instead of just kind of talking about this theoretically and say like, yeah, I know my aunt was a pretty faithful person, but like, that's great. I'm not denigrating anybody's faithful yet. I'm just... <laughs> To be able to see, like, the saints when they re we, they suffer stomach cancer, and the way they respond to that is like, God, you can heal me, but if it is your will, will, not will, will that I suffer this, then I will learn to suffer this and give glory to God and pray for all those who are also suffering with this, or those who are, that there is this transformation of suffering in these things. And, yeah, it is an ultimate, like, eschatological thing of, like, waiting till the end. Uh, the example of Christ, who was faithful to God, and that meant the cross. That meant death. But that is he, the whole time that he's going to that, he knows, you were like, remove this cup for me, that he knows, but your will be done, that he's going to raise him up. This is exactly why Paul points to Abraham as an example of justifying faith. Right, that none of these received what they and that Abraham is going to kill his son right but the whole point of what, what the scripture says is he knew the reason why I was justifying faith because otherwise it just seems like crazy town right like God just wanted him to kill his son down on highway 60 was it 61 67 61 good nobody else likes Bob Dylan in here okay uh, I'm really not that pop culture -y. I've been like doing a whole lot of pop culture references sorry <laughs> But that the, the reality the Scripture New Testament talks about, the reason why is because he knew that he would receive his son back in resurrection. That that's why it was justifying faith, not because he's just going to kill, because God said so. That goes back to that rule thing. God said it, God commanded it, therefore I, I, I am doing that in order to fulfill his word. That's not why he had faith. It's that he trusted that God would be able to bring life out of death. So... Yeah, there are times where God does respond. Like God responded to Elijah. God responded to all sorts of situations and reveals and rebukes or, you know, uh, heals. And there's other times that he doesn't. 
Can I explain that? No, I can't. Um, <clears throat> I think also in that same scripture with Abraham, um, he he makes mention to a person who is tending to their horses or their camels that um, he should keep them until we return. Yeah, he knew. He and his son. So he had faith that he wasn't going to lose his son. Right. Um, even though he had no nothing besides knowing who God was, and even though God right? told, told him to sacrifice his son. And also, when John was captured, he sent for Jesus and says, Hey, help me. I'm in jail and they're going to kill me. So I'm guessing John had faith that Jesus would get him out. But that wasn't the foreigner's job. There's some of these things that there's not really an answer. There's a witness to it, but there's not a straightforward answer like, you do this, therefore this will happen. And there is faithfulness because we don't always discern the will of God. It's kind of like Job, right? Job was a righteous man and he suffered. Uh, and all of his friends, even as you know, his wife is like, you need to curse God and die. His friends were like, you obviously did something, Job. And Job was like, I really didn't do anything, guys. <laughs> and then it's when he starts to question God. God appears to him, right? And basically says, where were you when I created the world? Where, like, you are a person, and I am God. This is, like, I'm beyond you. And I know this sounds, you know, but... And Job stayed faithful. So this is ultimately all capitulate I mean so it all sounds oh, it's like okay but that's still like what kind of God is this well it's also the God who went, came and did Job's life and then completed it by dying <laughs> unjustly right like I think the, the whole answer to the, the Job problem or these is because Jesus God himself died for us with us so he is present through all of this I also think it makes us question sometimes, I think especially in the 21st century, we are very this-worldly and not otherworldly. And there are times where there's a criticism of that, of like Christians are too otherworldly and therefore they don't care about now. But I, I have, what I have seen grow up in the past 20 years is not an otherworldliness, but a real worldliness that has come into the church, broadly into the church because of this rejection of like, uh, people that are too heaven centric I'm like I think it would probably do us a lot of good actually to be more heaven centric because I think we all want I'm not saying that you have or saying I want <laughs> answers and things right now uh, and God to show himself all the time but I, I think there is something about that I've been reading a lot of St. John Chrysostom probably a big surprise to you since he comes up almost every single homily now uh, I missed him last week anyways he is constantly talking about transferring our desires from this worldly stuff because I, I probably mentioned this but he loves to talk about covetousness and avarice and how we love stuff uh, it must have been a problem in Antioch or something uh, that's what I'm guessing because he talked about it all the time uh, transferring it to heaven transferring our desire our expectations our hope and we can even kind of take that faith and move it into the next virtue of hope what is our hope in? Is it a better job? Is it a nicer car? Is it a bigger house? Is it a bigger paycheck? I mean, all these things. Uh, is it a, a spouse? Is it children? Is it like all of these things? Those are all good and well, and they have their place, but you can't really put your hope in those things. Uh, you, I'm not saying become very dour and sour. I'm just saying we ultimately need to have hope that is based in God and God's faithfulness and what God is going to give it to a, give to us as a reward, even though it might happen after this life. What? How would you define hope? If you can't maybe give like a sentence definition, how would you like depict it? A leap of faith. A leap of faith. Are you reading Kierkegaard? I have. Okay. <laughs> belief in something that you can't believe in some level of trust in something that you can't rationalize or perceive of. <clears throat> it's like faith is the evidence of things not unseen. And I think hope necessarily has a, has a futuristic aspect to it. So it's a 
I guess it's a the ability to imagine that the future will be better and really believe that it will be better. And it's and that imagination is based off the faithfulness of God for right. a Christian, right? You're gonna have people who are very hopeful, but what they're hopeful for is is almost like Oprah type stuff, right? Things are just gonna get better if you manifest or something like this. Not, I don't think Oprah's into manifesting. Is she? I don't know. I don't. I'm not the demographic. Okay, uh, <laughs> but. Hope, uh, here, here's Father Thomas Hopko. Hope is the assurance of the good outcome of our lives lived by faith in God. Hope is the power of certain conviction that the life built on faith will produce its fruits. Hope is the confidence that despite all darkness and sin, the light of the loving forgiveness of God is upon us to do with us and for us what we ourselves cannot do. So hope is faith, uh, it is faith kind of giving fruit uh, that we know that we're we're going to bear fruit in our faithfulness. That there is a reward. I also think Hafka goes into it as like, it's the opposite of despondency and despair. Right? Because you know things are going to get better. It may not be in this lifetime, but you know that there is the reward. Right? Here's the next virtue that I thought was interesting. Knowledge. How would you think of knowledge as a virtue. Go ahead, Um, In a way, I think it's a contradiction to pride, because whenever somebody wants to learn, they don't assume that they already know, and that they're already kind of, you know, and stuff. So So like the seeking of knowledge, understanding, yeah. Adrian, did you have something nice? Was that a better answer? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's in the same context. Yeah. So, I, again, I'm going to read Hopko because I think... He, in the spiritual tradition of the church, the knowledge of God and his truth is the main goal of life. Quote, for what meaning would there be for creation if man should not know God? From St. Athanasius. <laughs> knowledge of God, indeed knowledge itself, according to the scriptures and the saints, is not mere knowledge about. It's not abstract knowledge of information, rational propositions, devoid of living experience. Knowledge is primarily, essentially, an existential union, a cleaving together the spiritual man and the object of his knowledge. St. Gregory of Nyssa has said, The Lord does not say that it is blessed to know something about God, but rather to possess God in oneself. The possession of God within the mind and heart is true knowledge of God. It comes through faith and repentance in the life of the church. It comes essentially through the gracious purification from all sinful passions. So in the Fathers of the Church, part of the challenge when they're talking about God revealed himself in Jesus Christ. We have sure knowledge of who God is, right? So there's this desire that is implanted in us. Aristotle talks about all of us have a true desire to know things, right? And this is deeply embedded in us. That's why you look at kids and why they say, why, 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 why? Because they are curious, curious, right? We're all curious. We may not be that why stage of a two-year-old or a three-year-old, but... The reason why you're here, I would say, is because you've asked more why questions than just kind of existing, right? Like, why? So, when you actually come to knowledge, and then knowing that all of creation points to a creator, and that create the creator is someone that you can actually have a relationship with, true knowledge, and this isn't to denigrate, like, knowing something about what you need to know for your job, but that true knowledge, the end of creation itself is to know God, to have a relationship with God. So it's a virtue to grow in knowledge of God himself, right? Which will require, as Savannah was saying, like, to put aside your pride, to not create an idol out of yourself, but to actually turn to God as the creator. To, uh, I love the quote from St. Gregory of Nyssa, that the Lord does not say it's blessed to know something about him, but to actually have him, it's just this language, to possess him in yourself, now, he doesn't mean possess as in, like, you know, got to catch them all type thing, right? Like, this means, like, I've actually come to a sure knowledge and know him, right? That was really pop culture <laughs> <laughs> Okay. With the virtue of wisdom. What, what's the difference between wisdom and knowledge? Uh, wouldn't wisdom be the application of knowledge? Yeah, there's like yeah. A, an active element to it. It's like a, a knowing what to do. Yeah. 
I think this is one of the things, partly because of our technocratic world that we live in, that we're losing a lot of wisdom, such that you have like Instagram pro like uh, accounts of like dads teaching dad things to like all of these guys who don't have dads. Or I guess gals too. Like this is how you tie a tie. I'm serious. There's multiple accounts like this. This is how you tie a tie. This is how you change a tire. This is how like you balance your checkbook. I don't know if you does anyone use that language anymore. Balance the checkbook. Do you have you ever heard that before? Oh yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. But I, really, I I think that language is going to go away. Who has check? Like most of us don't probably have a check. If we have a checkbook, it's been there for five years or something, right? Because you don't write that many checks out of it. You just tell your bank to do it. Uh, I don't even see really old people use checks anymore. They used to. That's true. That. I remember having to stay in line behind yeah. folks as they. How much is that? And then they. <laughs> oh, I messed it. it up. <laughs> <laughs> and then they had to run it through the machine. Mm. Oh wow. That's taking me back almost a decade now. I, I have not seen that. Yeah. All right. So, wisdom, right? Like the fact that our as techno technocratic things become like it's ease, but we also lose a sense of like knowledge of the world. Not just knowledge of the world, but know how. So, this is Hopko again. The virtue of wisdom differs from knowledge in that wisdom is normally understood as the immediate insight into things, the practical understanding and grasping of what is true and right in its living expression and form. <laughs> Uh, the wise man is one who sees clearly and deeply into the mysteries of God. You can say this in the world. You can encounter wise people, somebody who really knows, here's a random, the game of bas basketball or like you, the, what kind of work that you're in. You, it's somebody who's been in it for 20 years is going to have a wisdom that is just hard-won wisdom, right? In the Christian life, there is a wisdom that you can encounter that, it's part of the reason I became Orthodox. And the first times I ever sat down with an Orthodox priest, I actually heard wisdom from him, and it wasn't because of him. This is, his name was Father Athanasius, right? He's still with us. He's 90-something. But it wasn't... I mean, it was him saying it, and something that he had uh, earned through, you know, the spiritual life and reading, but it was just the wisdom of the church that was being reflected through him. I felt like I actually sat down with somebody who actually had a basic grasp of the spiritual life in a way that I had sat down with other ministers or preachers and they just like they had knowledge but they didn't seem to have like an actual wisdom about things uh and this isn't to denigrate anybody it's just i think in the church there is i mean a wealth of wisdom in the writings of the saints that is there that otherwise you're just you're just gonna have to wing it like you may know stuff you may know the bible decently well but it's it's just knowledge okay the next virtue honesty I think we all can appreciate the virtue of honesty, right? Nobody likes to be lied to. Uh, there is an absolute necessity of needing to be honest before God and before others and with ourselves in order for us to actually have a spiritual life. Uh, the pursuit of truth, uh, to be able, as the young man today in the gospel account, as truth was revealed to him, and then he doesn't know what to do with it besides run away sorrowful instead of actually responding to it and repenting. Uh, Father Hopko has here, the wise man who has knowledge lives according to the truth through a totally honest life. Honesty means, first of all, to speak the truth and never to bear false witness. Honesty also means to act truly, openly, without pretense or the presentation of a false image of oneself. And it means, in a word, not to be a hypocrite. Um, children's <laughs> theater. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> that window's not very big. We'll go through it. <laughs> One at a time. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, on on that subject, where uh, Jesus was talking about, um, let the weak say, "I am strong." Um, if we're speaking about honesty, uh, does that leave space for? aspirations or seeing beyond what you're currently capable of doing. Absolutely. I think that's part of what I was trying to, uh, in the sermon to say today. It's like I saw you, that. you see saw that. what the holiness that God calls you to instead of going like nah. <laughs> or like I don't think I can really do that. It's like no, you can't. Yeah. You're right about that. But God can through you. Yeah. If you move out of the way, if you actually grab onto him, it may seem like you're dying, because you are, right? Like, faith driving you to, like, say, like, I'm going to live really simply, and I'm not going to, or I'm going to, you know, 
give a percentage of my, but like just giving alms or just tithing to church, things like that are all little deaths, right? Where we die because we're not getting to do what we want to do. It's regarded as a little death. That's what I would say. Yeah, they're little deaths. They're little crosses. They're, and it's all these little ways in which the spiritual life is not... I mean, it's presented to us in the gospel. It's like Jesus saying, sell everything you have. But that would just be the beginning, right? Like, that wasn't like, now he's in the kingdom and everything's great and good. It's like, no, this is where for you, this is the thing. And you have to repent of that in order for you to actually be able to be in a position to grow. In. So this is why the spiritual life, there are certain things of being able to remove certain things and that faith is going to call something out of us. But I think a lot of us, what happens is we, we kind of, the fleshy aspect of ourself, and I just, I'm not even meaning any particular sins, it's just that we just kind of want to exist, right? Eat, drink, and be merry, right? We just, the status quo is fine, but the status quo for most of our lives is not actually fine. This doesn't mean for us to become neurotic <laughs> and also like go, you know, like, and tomorrow you go and sell everything and you run off into the woods and like you know I, that's not also what because I, I, I hear people it's like the only way there's somebody who's come through catechism class before he encounters somebody when he's at the university they all lived with no possessions I don't think they had bank accounts they had nothing I think they lived I mean they lived in the streets I don't know what they were doing but they were like Jesus people at this kind of like you can't own anything because Jesus says you cannot own anything and in some sense it's like they they're they're hitting on something that's right, but they have no wisdom. They have no discernment, and it's also like this is only going to last while you're in your college years, isn't it? Yeah, I've seen communes come and go, <laughs> Christian ones. I'm not even talking about like you know, the bong at the center of it. I'm talking about like Jesus communes, right? As soon as everybody actually grows a little bit and has kids, and it's almost inevitably it's money or sex is the problem. Everyone's thinking of communes they've known and how they've blown up. That's always what happens. And it's always power that's behind it, right? There's no true... That, it's that, that kind of... It's, it's a kind of, like, arrested development, right? Of, like, this... I don't mean the show. I mean, like, <laughs> this teenager, like, or, like, young adult aspirational thing that's like, yes, that aspirational thing, absolutely. Not like this. Because this isn't going to go anywhere. Monasteries are because... Men... <laughs> And women, it's not mixed, and it's not in a like, And there's a hierarchy. The abbot is in charge, or an abbess is in charge. So I, I don't know why I'm bringing up communes, but I'm just saying like this: the need for discernment and the need to be able to, uh, yes, it's good to have aspirations. I think it's it's good to have aspirations uh, to actually grow a business, to actually like yeah, be successful. In that's life. part of faith, also. <coughs> Yes, and I, and I think, like, if you look at the Old Testament, you look at Proverbs, like, who, what is the righteous woman at the end of Proverbs? She's actually somebody who knows how to do a whole lot of stuff in the marketplace and for the sake of the household. I, God is not against us. Uh, successful is not the right word I want to use because America is so, how is it, flourishing. Mm. God wants us to flourish. This is also a really popular word right now, so sorry, but okay, flourish. Because it's a holistic thing. God wants us a man to be able to support his family, right? To be able to support his kids. Uh, he wants us to be able to also, I mean, this is why the fathers talk about this a lot. Like the rich exist for the poor and the poor exist for the rich is because the rich out of their excess give. And the father's basically like you give because this excess is, you don't need it. St. John Chrysostom. I'm going to go do another St. John Chrysostom thing. He talks about the difference between uh, like fornication and lust and then like avarice. And he's like, lust is natural. It's like literally ingrained into you, right? Like you desire this. So he's like, avarice is not natural. <laughs> to desire money is not something that's like ingrained into you in a physical way. So like he actually says like avarice, because it's unnatural, it's actually a weightier sin because it is something that is for him it's just like it's unnatural you don't we don't need you don't need 5,000 square feet for two people <laughs> right you don't need four cars you don't need you don't need these things 
And so I think it depends on what you mean flourishing or su success actually looks like. So for that's why Chrysostom, almsgiving, almsgiving, almsgiving. It's like you don't actually need three computers. You don't need 50 pairs of shoes. You don't need that stuff. That's why St. Basil say things like, if you've got two coats, you should take that other coat and give it to somebody who needs it. There's also a sense of like common, like it's, it's held in common. You're actually holding back something from somebody else who actually needs it. So all of that requires discernment and working through it. I think this is where, as talking about the other virtues, you need somebody beside you to help discern w about certain things. So again, I, I don't think, I mean, God has used, uh, besides those pagan, uh, like Plato and Aristotle and whoever in the Narthex, if you go to a lot of uh, churches back on the other side of the world, you know who else is in the, in the Narthex? The king or the rich uh, person who gave the money in order to build the church, and they are that there is there is a sense of honor, there is a sense of like placement for people who have means. It's just they have responsibilities towards the community. This is one of the biggest problems in America. <laughs> we're almost back into Robert Barron's 2.0 now, right? Like we're in a world of very different. Uh, so I, I think the church has always been very clear about the danger of money and how we can kind of delude ourselves about possessions and pointed to, like, it's not necessarily bad that you do well in business or something like that. It's what you do with the fruit of it and allow it to, like, clog up your arteries and kill you eventually as opposed to eating what you need. I'm mixing metaphors here, but, like, eating what you need and not eating the excess. All right, I gave myself five minutes. Humility, everybody knows the humility. Oh, yeah, okay. Obedience. Let's actually, I think everybody knows, what, what is humility? I think this is one of these words that we use, but I'm not sure if we know what it. Not aggrandizing yourself in front of others. Okay. <clears throat> not thinking of yourself as greater than others. Yeah. Hopko says it is seeing reality as it actually is in God. It means to know oneself and others as known by God. This is something St. Isaac, the Syrian, says is greater than raising the dead, to actually have humility, to be able to actually see things as they truly are, and by what they truly are means from the point of view of God, right? So humility, this is the Father's humility, 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 the humble lay aside all vanity, conceit, and the service of the least of God's creatures, and to consider no good act is beneath one's dignity and honor. Humility is to know oneself without the grace of God as dust, sinful, and dead. Right? It's kind of it ties closely with meekness and we talked about in the Beatitudes. Obedience. Now, here's here's something that the virtue of obedience. This is not something you hear about every day. In the Orthodox spiritual tradition, obedience is a basic virtue. Obedience to the Lord, to the gospel, to the church, to the leaders of the church, to one's parents and elders, to every ordinance of man, to one, these are quotes from scripture, this is not just him having his list that he thinks, right? To one another out of reverence for Christ. There is no spiritual life without obedience, no freedom or liberation from sinful passions and lusts. To submit to God's discipline in all of its human forms is the only way to attain, obtain the glorious liberty of the children of God. God disciplines us as his children out of his great love for us. He disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. Our obedience to God's commandments and discipline is the exclusive sign of our love for him and his son. I feel like obedience is always lauded, but rarely actually done, because it's really easy to have your own opinion of how something should be done and not do what is actually said to be done. We're all very self-directed. Any questions about obedience? Let me at least offer a clarifying word about obedience. Obedience, especially to somebody like a spiritual father or a priest, is not the same obedience as a monk has to an abbot. If you read the spiritual literature of the church, you do not... Uh, monks ask for blessings for all sorts of things, like, uh, can I... I don't know. 
have to run into town in order to get something in order to fix something like they have to get a blessing from the abbot in order to do those things right that is not the way in a parish uh, I say this because you're like I don't struggle with that well there are folks if you delve into the spiritual literature you're usually, usually reading a lot of monastic stuff where people start treating a priest like he's an abbot or like you know can I date this person can I have your blessing date this person I'm like don't give blessings to date people because like I am not like I there's enough for me to manage of a parish a rector of a parish I'm not interested in micromanaging people's lives I don't think that's actually what spiritual fatherhood in a parish or spiritual direction implies if you have questions or you want to ask about something ask away I might ask you a whole bunch of questions but I'm not usually going to tell you what to do in those kind of situations if it has to do with sin and things like that then yes, that is more purview. But like, do I buy it? And you think I'm like joking about some of these things. So this is real. Priests talk about this of like folks who like they want to, and there's something good about it, but they also, there's a sense of that, like I want to obey and be under obedience until they don't want to be under obedience or until it doesn't go that they want it to be because they think the priest is going to do something already. You're going to... Oh, no, that's fine. It's fine. You, okay. you, you covered it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I want to talk about at least one last thing which is courage. I, the thing that in five years of being a priest, I feel like courage is the virtue that probably needs to be, if there's something that like, sometimes you need to almost over pronounce it in order because of the lack to like make up for it. I feel like courage is one of those virtues that needs to be like lauded more because of its lack. Uh, so let me just read what Hopka says about courage. If you pursue virtue, you are most likely to be attacked much by fear. Such a person should make every effort to overcome cowardice, the daughter of unbelief and that offspring of vainglory. So cowardice is the daughter of unbelief and vainglory. Cowardice is a childish disposition in a vainglorious soul. This is also from St. John Climacus. St. John Climacus, sorry. This doesn't sound like Hopka. This sounds like somebody older. So this is why. <laughs> Cowardice is a childish disposition and a vainglorious soul, a failing away from, a falling away from the faith that comes through expecting the unexpected, a rehearsing of danger beforehand and fear at loss of conviction, right? What is courage but doing through all the what ifs and why I shouldn't do this because who knows what's going to happen. A proud soul is a slave of cowardice. It vainly trusts in itself and fears any shadow and sound of creatures. I think I see a cowardice a lot with folks. They don't want to have to actually deal with something, and so they don't actually deal with it. Mm. I, this happens all the time in interpersonal relationships. I see it all the time. Somebody's offended by something, or somebody interprets something, doing something, and instead of like dealing with it and like actually having the courage to be able to like, hey, did you mean to say such and such because it really hurt my feelings? I just people run away. They just don't do it. Like, have courage. I mean, we should be able to have these kind of conversations, but because of these things, right, the, for the recording, like phones, right, we're so used to, like, I'll text. <laughs> I won't have to really deal with this, right? Um, uh, cowardly people are vainglorious. And uh, so this is St. John Climacus, and often have mental breakdowns. I think this is probably a little bit different from what he's saying in the seventh century, from what we would say mental breakdown is. But I think he's talking about that kind of frustration and just lack of, instead of doing the hard thing, just retreating. He who has become this Lord's servant fears the master alone, but he who does not yet fear him is often afraid of his own shadow. He who has conquered cowardice has clearly dedicated his life and soul to God. So, of course, you're going to have courage if you have faith and hope in God, right? You're going to be able to take on, you're going to have some grit, and you're going to know that there's going to be trial and turmoil. We should end there unless somebody else. I highly suggest, because we didn't, I didn't hit every single thing, like I would love to have talked more about self-control and gratitude. Uh, gratitude, I think, is another thing that needs to be talked about a whole lot more, because I feel like a lot of our own, the despondency and despair that surrounds us, and a lot of it is because we're just not grateful for the things we actually have. Because we have, uh, here's a big $30 word, mimetic desire. 
which is we mimesis, which is basically like copying. Like we see what everybody else has and we want what they have and we can't be happy because we can never have what somebody else has as opposed to being thankful for what we have. Because let's be honest, let's look historically. We have a ton of stuff. We are blessed. Lord, now let us all thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. From mine eyes have seen thy salvation and thou prepared before the face of all people. The light to enlighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So next week we're going to hit the uh, fasting, almsgiving, prayer, and then sexuality, family, marriage, family.